I am a private man. I made the decision, again at Jeannie's suggestion, to write down what had happened during my days on the American road. If nothing else, I thought the story might drop a few laughs into someone's life, which is not a bad thing these days. So let me begin here. I am an ordinary, sane, American man, 44 years young, senior editor at a respected Manhattan publishing house, Stanley and Burns, that specializes in books on food. I've been married to the same woman for almost half my life. We have two teenage children. Natasha is sixteen and a half, Anthony fourteen, an affectionate mixed-breed dog named Jasper, and a house in one of the pricier New York suburbs. Jeannie works very part-time as a freelance museum photographer and very full-time as an attentive mother. It's not a perfect life, needless to say. We've had our share of worry and disappointment, illness and hurt, and with two teenagers in the house we sometimes experience a degree of domestic turbulence that sounds to my ear like a boiling tea kettle filled with hormones shrieking on a stove. But it is a life Jeannie and I made from scratch, without a lot of money at first or a lot of help, and we are proud of it and grateful. Six months before my trip— A sour, new ingredient was dropped into the stew of that good life, into the swirl of dinner parties, arguments over homework, and two-week rentals at the shore in August. My parents, Ronald and Matilda, seventy-two and seventy, were killed in a car crash on a two-lane North Dakota highway called State Route 22. In full possession of their mental faculties, in excellent health, They were familiar voices on the end of the phone line one day, and unavailable the next. Gone. Silent. Untouchable. Hardy farm people with forceful and distinct personalities who were turned to ash and memories by a drunk just my age in a careening blue pickup. We all went out to North Dakota for the memorial service. My sister, Cecilia, who lives in New Jersey, took the train. She inherited my mother's fear of air travel. Tears were shed. There was talk of the old times, good and not so good. There was anger at the man, soon to be imprisoned, who had killed them. I expected all that. What I did not expect was the enormous feeling of emptiness that surrounded me in the weeks following my parents' burial. It was more than bereavement. It was a kind of sawing dissatisfaction that cut back and forth against the fibers of who I believed myself to be. Sometimes, even in the sunniest moods, I'd be aware of it. Turn your eyes away from the good life for just a second, and there it was. Not depression, as much as an ugly little doubt about everything you had ever done. Not confusion, exactly but a kind of lingering question. What's the point of all this? Would be putting the question too crudely, but it was something along those lines. All this striving and aggravation, all these joys and miseries, all this busyness, all this stuff. A thousand headlines, a hundred thousand conversations, emails, meetings, tax returns, warranties, bills, privacy notices— Ads for Viagra, calls for donations, election cycles, war in the news every day, trips to the dump with empty wine bottles, 
fillings and physicals, braces and recitals, genie's moods, my moods, the kids' moods, soccer tournaments, plumber's bills, sitcom characters, oil changes, wakes, weddings, watering the flower beds. All of this, I started to ask myself, leads exactly where? To a smashed-up Buick on a country highway? And then what? Paradise? All right, I'm a fan of the old idea that if you live a decent life, you rise up to heaven afterward. I'm not opposed. But sometimes, riding the commuter train home past the tenements of Harlem, or calling Natasha and Anthony away from their IMing long enough for the frenzied modern ritual of a family meal, or just standing around at a friend's fiftieth birthday party with a glass of Pinot Noir in one hand, I'd feel this sudden ache cutting along my skin.